Welcome to part two of our series, It's Complicated. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you missed out on last week's message, Tammy did an amazing job uh, with our introduction, shared loads of wisdom, um, some serious practical nuggets that I think you'll be able to adapt uh, into many different uh, relationships. So yes, we uh, are arguing that in many ways we feel like it's complicated, uh, not just life, not just the circumstances that we're dealing with right now. Um, but more specifically, I think because of uh, the fact that you are a little bit past four weeks in shutdown, and for some of you that's great news, for others that's horrific news, some of you can't wait to get out and go back to work, um, others uh, are terrified at the idea of having to go back and, and deal with, with certain people. Uh, it's just so easy uh, during circumstances like this, even more so than normal, for us to need to pay attention to our relationships. And even though it is complicated, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be. I think that God gives us hope. I think He gives us wisdom. And I'm hoping that uh, even just in our short time together today, that you um, will experience a bit of that hope and that you will walk away with a couple of practical uh, steps and, and principles that you can put into place in your own life. Perhaps the most important thing to begin with that I want to encourage you with is just this idea that people are not actually a necessary evil. People are not uh, something to be tolerated in your life while you kind of work through you know, the mess to, to actually get to what you think matters most. I want to argue that, that uh, as far as God is concerned, there is nothing more important than people uh, in this life on earth. Um, I don't think any achievement, um, I don't think any, any education, any degree, any amount of knowledge, um, any type of, of gifting, innovation, anything like that actually matters ultimately if, we, if it's not motivated by love, if it's not motivated by a concern for people. I honestly think that Jesus would say that, that even in the chaotic circumstances that we're dealing with right now, or whether we're talking a few months ago or five years ago, a hundred years ago, 2,000 years ago, I think Jesus would say that the main thing for us, regardless of what's going on, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is love. It sounds perhaps like a bit of a cliche, but love is the oxygen of the kingdom. Love is uh, what fuels God, is what fueled Jesus to, to lay his life down at the cross and to continue to invite us into a relationship with him. And it is love that I think um, is the greatest evidence that we are walking in a relationship with God. Um, if you've been around for a while, you've probably heard me say before that it's kind of possible to love people without loving God, but it's not possible to truly love God and not be impacted to where you see people differently, to where you love people. You cannot love God and not love people. Jesus was actually challenged um, by a, a religious scholar to, to come up with the most important commandment to sum up what was a little over 600 commandments and then probably thousands of, of applications and iterations. And Jesus answered him with the following. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, reading from the New Living Translation, that's what the little NLT means. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus was saying that you can literally summarize everything that matters in life. 
You can, you can weigh everything up, you can break everything down, but what matters most is loving God and loving people and being able to receive love from God and from people. Because I also think that it's only to the extent that we allow God to love us that we're able to love people. It's only to the extent that we're able to receive His grace and patience and kindness that we're able to be secure enough and healthy enough and, and whole enough to be able to love others and to show kindness and to show grace and to show forgiveness. Again, I'm not arguing that is simple, but it doesn't necessarily have to be complicated. People matter. Um, in fact, uh, I would argue that people are, are often a gift from God. And again, I want to include people that you don't like, people that you don't agree with, people, people that are maybe completely uh, different to you. And, and it's natural. We, we, it's easy for us to think that people provoke things out of us and we can blame people for our anger, our aggression, our bitterness, our jealousy, um, people that are pushing our buttons when it comes to insecurity and defensiveness. But I want to argue that, that people can't actually make me do those things. They can only reveal, they can only provide the circumstances that actually reveal what's going on inside of me. So if I'm, if I'm sitting on a, on a certain team with a bunch of other leaders and I'm starting to feel insecure because of how I think I compare, I can't blame anybody else because of their personalities or aggression or assertiveness. I've got to look at, wait, why am I feeling insecure? What is my security based on? If I get jealous of what somebody else has or that promotion that somebody else has, or I get bitter because of the way I've been treated over something, um, I'm not saying that, that other people haven't done legitimate things to us, but, but they can't make me bitter. Bitterness is something that's coming from the inside because of the state of my heart. And so people are actually a gift to us in that they're a type of thermometer, like, like they, they gauge the temperature of our heart or they're like a, a mirror where they, where they actually help reflect for us some of the stuff that's going on. By the way, side note, I never knew I had so many different ticks and things uh, until I had to watch myself doing what we're doing now over the last while. So it's scary when you're forced to watch yourself uh, doing something that you would never normally see. Um, yeah, I wonder how many of us would be horrified if a camera was on when we were talking about people sometimes or in the way that we were maybe speaking to a spouse or, or the way that we were interacting with someone at work, maybe gossiping, maybe talking about the boss or maybe the way that we're talking about employees and, and those under us, even though the facts may be facts, but the, maybe some of the extra stuff that we add to that. Um, yeah, it's scary when you actually have this, this mirror, this, this reflection that is presented to us. And so I do want to encourage you to, to try and see people uh, th yeah, through, a more, through a more positive uh, lens, where you see them as a gift from God. They do actually, where we are there to help one another. It's iron, sharpening iron. Um, let's not blame each other. Let's, let's learn uh, what we need to learn. Of course, God gives... Um, loads of perspective about this in the Bible. One of the best known passages is found in 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to encourage those of you that are familiar with it to be very careful not to, not to um, kind of zone out for a few moments. Um, I know sometimes we're inoculated against truth and wisdom because maybe we've read it before or heard it before. But I want to encourage you not to give in to distractions right now, but to rather ask God to help you to read or to hear with fresh ears and fresh eyes. I've been deeply challenged. The, the, the older I get and the more I read these passages that I want to read to you, the more challenged I am. 
by my own heart and whether or not I'm allowing God to do what he's wanting to do in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, reading from verse 1, says the following. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I want to just pause you for a moment. I think it's possible that what Paul the Apostle, uh, who, who wrote this under God's uh, inspiration, I wonder if maybe what he was saying to us is that you can be, like you can sound spiritual. You can, I mean, imagine if you could speak the language of angels. So, so you could speak with heavenly beings. I think Paul's saying, even if you try and sound spiritual, if it's not motivated by love, you're actually just making a noise. In fact, in fact, it's, it's an annoying, uh, consistent, repetitive, clanging sound. And I just want to caution you, if, if you are maybe one of those people that, that feels compelled to share um, Christian truths with people at work, for example, if it's not motivated by love, if you don't love people first, if your primary concern is not to connect with people, then I want to encourage you, don't try and correct anybody. If you're, the, the noise of your heart is going to be louder than the sound of your lips. Um, I even want to encourage parents, and, and I do this so cautiously because I feel like I have failed in this area so many times as well. We, we're normal. We get angry. We can get irritated. You can be tired, and, and maybe you express yourself in, in ways that later on, you're not proud of, but I want to encourage just for a moment, those of you that are parents where you may be wanting to correct a child, or by the way, this could be the, this could be the same in marriage as well, or even in friendships, where you're trying to share a truth, but the, but the hardness of your heart speaks louder than the truth of your words. And so I just think Paul's saying, if it's not motivated by love, you're just making a noise. You're just a, a loud, noisy gong. You're a clanging symbol. So let's make sure that our hearts are right first. I think the volume of our hearts are always going to be, uh, always going to speak louder than the volume of our lips. He goes on to say that if I had the gift of prophecy, so in other words, if you had the spiritual gift, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, imagine if you understood what's going to be happening a few weeks from now, a couple of months from now, next year. Imagine if you could, if you could discern What's going to be taking place in the near future, in history? If, if you could discern God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, you had an incredible education, you had great insight. And by the way, he goes even, again, he's saying, even if you're a pure spiritual, you have the faith to move mountains. So even if you could heal people, you can, you can do stuff. You can get stuff done in a, in a spiritual context. If I didn't love others, I would be nothing. So a mountain will have been moved, which would be a little bit random, but you'll be nothing. You may have um, insights and understanding into stuff. You're going to be nothing. It's not going to ultimately matter because what matters is people and love. Then he goes on to say that if I gave everything I have to the poor, obviously with the wrong motive, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. So if that's my motive. If, if my motive is to look good, to, to look generous. He's like, well, you can boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And I was even just wondering when preparing this message again and reading this passage again for I don't know the how manyth time, 
I wonder if this isn't even a description of Satan. Um, you know, where he knew plenty, uh, he was in the Bunakran with God. Like he was tight. Uh, he knew stuff. He could do stuff. But his, his heart was proud. It was selfish. He, he didn't care about other people. He didn't want to extend the Father's agenda and kingdom. He didn't want to serve people and help people. And so I just wonder if, if this isn't kind of that, that description where, where, where you can do stuff. You can be successful uh, on, on certain metrics. But guys, if we don't love people, in fact, I would argue that knowledge and power um, and even in some cases the ability to give and, and manipulate people is, is dangerous in the hands of someone with a hard heart. We need to love people. No achievement, no, no sacrifice, uh, no gesture, no amount of knowledge, nothing is worth anything. No innovation, no, no achievement, nothing is worth anything if it's not ultimately motivated by love for people. And this is a challenge in our daily lives where we have to ask ourselves, am I more concerned with getting through a task? Now, even though that's important, I'm not suggesting that you ignore your responsibilities, but, but am I, I think the question I have to ask myself is at what cost? Am I comfortable that I got a task done, but at a, human, at a certain human cost? Did I use people? Did I abuse people? Did I, did I, was I irritable with my family? Did I, did I reject anybody? Did I ignore anything that I should uh, be giving attention to? But, but I got the task done. I, I, I ticked the box. And so that's something that I think we need to constantly be aware of. Very quickly, just getting more practical now, Paul goes on to say uh, in verse 4, and this is the part that many of us are familiar with, that love is patient and kind. In fact, he's saying that, that everything hangs off of these two things. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is kind, love is patient. You, you want to look at almost any other example or illustration or practical application of love and it hangs off of patience and kindness. How I respond to people, how I invest into people and build into people when I'm kind, when I'm generous, when I'm, when I'm gentle, when I'm, when I'm patient, when I'm slow to speak and quick to listen, when I'm slow to get angry and, and quick to forgive. Am I, am I able to to bear with people. Patience and kindness, kindness and patience. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or some versions say not easily irritated and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And then I love Verse 7, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I want to take a look at, at these, these few little highlighted words that, uh, that I read for a few moments. And, and I'm going to use slightly different language to, to get this across, but I feel like like this passage actually gives us at least nine examples um, or, or nine illustrations of, of what love is. Even when it's saying it's not this, well, then obviously it's the opposite. And so I'd love for you just to kind of follow with me. In fact, our notes are on version. If you don't have the version uh, Bible app, I'd strongly recommend that you download that as soon as possible. All you have to do is click on events 
and then search for View Church Milneton and these notes will be on there. Just make sure that you save them, but it'd be great for you to go back and reflect on them uh, during the week. So again, if we're saying that love is patient and kind, everything else hangs off of patience and kindness, then the first thing that I think that this passage tells us is that love is actually generous. When it says that love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude, it's not jealous. I think the opposite of jealousy is generosity. To be jealous means I want something. So I'm actually stingy. I want to grab something. I want what you have. I want that promotion. I want that opportunity. Um, I, I want to be able to choose. You know, I, I'm jealous. Um, the opposite of, of being stingy and, and just trying to take is actually generosity. So you want to be loving, be generous. Imagine, I mean, forget about anywhere else, even just in your home right now. Imagine if whoever you're living with, if you're trying to outdo each other with acts of kindness, acts of generosity. Imagine if you are trying to find ways to encourage each other sincerely, not to be patronizing or in any way cliched, but to generally, uh, to genuinely speak life into one another. To be generous with our words, generous with our encouragement, um, generous with our time. I do believe that love is generous. I cannot be stingy and argue that I love someone. Then second, I think that love is secure. It says that love is not jealous, it doesn't boast. Well, again, I think that when I need to boast, I'm needing praise, I'm needing affirmation, I'm needing, to, I'm needing some kind of fame or acclaim, and I think that that speaks of insecurity. So I'm, I'm needing something from people that actually I should be getting from God. And so I think that love is secure. When, when I'm in a healthy place with God, when I'm allowing God to reassure me, to, to look at me with love, um, when I'm enjoying a healthy relationship with God, I need less of that affirmation from people. I'm going to be secure I'm, I'm not going to need to boast and, and force uh, some type of praise or affirmation from other people. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton uh, has written a great book called Invitation to Solitude and Silence. I've mentioned it many times. Um, we've actually been working through it with some of our leaders the last couple of months. We actually finished the last chapter this week. And I love how, how she sums everything up where, where basically she's saying, if you're doing all of this, if you're trying to spend time with God and if you're deliberate about solitude and, and even just just practicing a bit of silence where you get present and, and real and honest and raw with God, if that doesn't change the way that we interact with people, then something's wrong. Then, then we need to change that. And anyway, I'd love to just read a quick quote to you from uh, this book. Again, the author is Ruth Haley Barton. It'll be on the version notes as well. But she says that when we do not find ourselves loved by God in solitude, we prowl around looking for others to fill our emptiness. We enter life in community trying to grab and grasp from others what only God can give. She goes on to say that on the other hand, when we are experiencing ourselves as the beloved of God, accepted and cherished by Him in all our beauty and brokenness, our hard, rough edges start to soften. I love that picture. When I allow God to accept me, to love me, with my beauty and my brokenness. And yes, guys, you can talk about your own beauty as well. Just don't say it out loud in a crowd. Um, I think that some of, those, some of those hard edges actually do start to soften and we, we stop doing damage to the people around us. Then she goes on to say that 
we begin to see others as beloved as well. And that is what gets reflected back to them when they look into our eyes. Not only does the love of God come to us in solitude, the love of God begins to pour through us to others. In other words, maybe a better way of summarizing this is if our time with God doesn't change our time with people, if it doesn't affect our time with people in a, in a positive way, then we need to change our time with God. If our time with God doesn't change our time with people, we need to change our time with God. We have to do something different. If I'm coming out of my quiet time less patient, more irritable, more easily agitated, tighter, stressed out, then honestly, I need to change what I'm doing in my time with God. I think that love is secure. Number three, love is humble. The opposite of pride is humility. Love is not, uh, it is not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud. So love is humble. Uh, we, don't, we don't know it all. We don't know if we're right or wrong. Even if we really think we're right, we don't have to be right. Sometimes we know that there are things that are more important than just being right. And so love is humble. We're willing to listen. We're willing to try and understand. And again, that's where patience comes in. Fourth, I would argue that love is polite. Paul says that love is not rude. Well, the opposite of rudeness is politeness or, or good manners. Or even the, the fruit of the Spirit uh, gives examples like gentleness and goodness and self-control. In other words, um, especially uh, living together at the moment, or maybe if you, know, if you work in a crowded office, like it's, it's as simple as just greeting one another. It's being polite, it's looking people in the eyes. When you, when you interact with someone at the shops, and some of you are hoping that that comes you know, much sooner than later, um, just look at people with value. Treat people with courtesy, with good manners, and, and not just strangers, and not just, so in my case, I've got to be careful historically that that's not just on a Sunday when, when I'm on duty or when I'm at a church gathering. Can I treat people with value and dignity and courtesy? Can I be polite um, in my everyday dealings and, and interaction with people? I would encourage you to say thank you. When someone does something for you, thank them. If someone does the dishes, thank them. If someone cooks, thank them. Thank them for every, whoever's cooking, thank them constantly because that's a huge a blessing. If someone cleans up, thank them. So express gratitude, watch your tone of voice. One of the challenges for me when it comes to being polite is sometimes I, without even realizing it, I'll interrupt Sue, especially. Um, and, and for some reason, I'm, I'm, I think I know what she's going to say and, and, I, and I try and get in there without even thinking about it. And it's actually rude. Love is not rude. Love is polite. And so that's an area that I need to work on very, very consciously. Then Paul goes on to say that love does not demand its own way. And so I would argue that love is considerate. You want to help uncomplicate relationships? Let's be considerate. I don't have to get my way. I don't have to get my way all the time. That's not to say that you can't ever get your way or that you can't ever consider yourself. In fact, I would argue that, that if you are engaged in healthy self-care, so healthy boundaries of self-care, you're going to be, you have a far greater capacity to be selfless with other people as you try and consider them. So let's be considerate. Number six, I believe we need to be self-controlled. It says that love is not irritable or not easily irritated. And um, 
again, I think that, that if we love people, we'll take our own health seriously. So, we'll, so we will take our own rhythms. Um, I, I, I won't just keep ignoring limits and boundaries and, and losing my temper with those around me, those closest to me, those who I actually love the most, and just keep using the excuse, well, I'm tired, I'm busy, I'm stressed out, which again, the first few weeks of this whole changeover was, it was challenging for me. I wasn't sleeping. Um, my mind was going the whole time. We were trying to adjust to, to a whole bunch of stuff. And, and I, I knew I had, to, I had to apologize anytime I was irritable, anytime I was a little bit on edge, but I couldn't just keep apologizing and not doing anything about it. I, I then need to take responsibility, my exercise, sleep, caffeine, whatever the case is, so that I'm not constantly irritable because that's not love. That's not how I love my family. And when you do mess up, make sure that you apologize. Number seven is that love forgives. Love is gracious. I, I would argue that you almost can't help but be gracious when you've had a revelation of God's grace towards you. I'm not suggesting that uh, forgiveness waters anything down that people have done. It's definitely not condoning it. Um, and, and, and if it needs forgiveness, it means it's not deserved because forgiveness is a gift. It's, it's free. It's gracious. But, but also, I want to be clear that, that when I'm talking about forgiveness for today's purposes, I'm referring to kind of everyday knucklehead stuff. I'm not talking about the significant, the catastrophic, the betrayals, the abuse. Um, again, it requires forgiveness, but, but there's a whole bunch more involved there. Um, forgiveness doesn't mean that you reconcile with someone who is abusing you or betraying you. Reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness takes one person. You can forgive someone who has betrayed you and yet still want nothing to do with them because you're not going to keep making yourself available to them for them to, to hurt and to harm. Forgiveness doesn't mean that justice isn't meted out. Justice can still be meted out. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you trust that person again. Forgiveness is given, but trust is earned. Um, but when it comes to everyday stuff, um, the Bible tells us that, that love covers a multitude of sins. Like we've got to be able to overlook stuff. All of us can be knuckleheads. All of us can be irritating. All of us can be annoying. Let's, let's be quick to forgive. And, and when it says that, that they doesn't keep a record of wrongs, I don't think it means that, that, that he or she forgets. I just think that it means that we don't bring the record up to the person and keep, and keep presenting a list of where they've messed up. Some of us get hysterical in conflict. Others become historical and I'd encourage you to try and focus on, on what's happening in front of you and to try and handle it in a gracious way. Second last one is number eight, love is humane. When it says that love does not rejoice in about injustice, um, I want to argue that justice is not purely a legal issue. Justice is about caring about our fellow man. Justice is, is about caring about, about basic, um, non-negotiables, irreducible minimums, um, where, where if I'm able to help someone that doesn't have food, have food, that's a just issue. It, it doesn't have to be a law for me to do that. That's, that's justice. When, if I'm touched by the love of God, I am going to care about other people that are, are struggling. And so I do think that love at, at its core, at its essence, it's humane. We, we value every life as a, as a core image bearer of God. And so I do want to thank you very, very much. All of you who have already contributed towards just, just one of our initiatives amongst others has been Feed a Family. 
Um, you've been incredibly generous and we've been able to partner with several schools in our community that know our families that don't have food. Um, I'm actually amazed at how many massive families we have with, with multiple adults, multiple children. We're also partnering with an organization in Joe Slovo um, who is feeding uh, the elderly, the handicapped and um, school aged children as well. So we're trying to help uh, provide um, for all of their needs every week at the moment. So thank you for that. Just very practically, I do want to ask you if you're giving to this, especially if you go into SnapScan, just to make sure that you use the right reference. So if you're paying into the church account, just reference it very clearly, COVID response or uh, feed a family. Um, and also not to confuse it if you're also paying a tithe. And if you're doing that, then just make sure that you change the reference um, where necessary. We don't want your COVID response to go into the tithes and we don't want the tithes to go into the COVID response. Um, we, we do want the church to still be around a month or two from now. So please let's make sure that we are uh, allocating what we want to, to the correct places. Lastly, as I read to you, verse seven says that love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful. Even when it looks like everything's going to pieces, you don't lose hope. Again, it doesn't mean that you keep allowing uh, you know, that, that prodigal son or daughter or that, or that sibling or that parent that, that's, you know, taken for, taking you for granted and abused you and, and that you don't have contact with at the moment. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you force contact or that, you, or that you override boundaries. You don't have to be running after them or controlling them to still have hope. Love has hope. If the person's not dead, God's not done. Let's not give up. Let's per severe. And the reason why I think this is also encouraging the, the scripture that I'd like to end with today um, is actually something that ministered to me just a little while ago. Um, and, and I just love the, the picture that it actually uh, gives, the, the insight that it gives to the nature and to the heart and to the love of Jesus. Found in Matthew chapter 12 verse 20, it says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And if I'm honest, there have been times in my life that when someone is bruised and they're annoying me and they're weak and I can't believe that they're screwing up again in the same way, there have been times where, where I've been tempted to want to break them. For all I know, maybe, maybe I even have. I hope not, but it's not impossible. Or when, when their flame has been kind of flickering, I've, I've probably been tempted to want to blow it out because of intolerance or impatience or irritability. And, and, and it makes me sick that I can ever be like that. And again, the only way for me to be like that is not to be in a healthy place with God. But I love it how that's not God's heart. That's not the heart of Jesus. He doesn't blow your smoldering wick out. He breathes into it. So even if you are feeling incredibly discouraged today, if you feel like you're hanging on by the skin of your teeth and you feel like that flame is just the, the slightest ember. I honestly believe that Jesus comes and he, and he wants to blow ever so gently into that smoldering wick. And if you're feeling like a bruised reed and, you're, and you feel like you're just moments away from being broken, I want to encourage you that He will not break you. And when, when we see God, when we see how good He is, we can't help but want to run to Him. We can't help but, but go to Him when we mess up instead of hiding from Him. We can't help but want to go to Him to find that love and security and peace so that we can, we can reproduce that, so that we can reflect that on to those around us. So 
please, can I encourage you to close your eyes for a moment. I'd love to just pray this heart over you in Jesus' name. Father, thank you so much that you don't break us when we're struggling. You don't blow out our, our last remaining flame. Thank you that you breathe into us, that you speak hope and that you speak life. I pray that you would give us a revelation of your incredible love towards us, your incredible mercy, your grace, your kindness, your peace, your gentleness, your goodness, your faithfulness. God, please would you give us a revelation of that and help us to keep trusting you with all the various relationships in our lives, however complex they might be. And God, for anyone that's watching or listening to this today that is not in a relationship with you yet, but they want to be, God, I pray that you'd help them to say yes to Jesus. Help them to say yes to this free gift of forgiveness that Jesus offers us. Help them to say yes to following Jesus daily. Whatever that might look like, that they would be patient, that they would persevere with that journey as they learn to discern, as they learn to sense He's leading. But I pray that you would help every person that is considering a relationship with you, help them to make a decision to stop drifting, to stop dating, to stop checking you out. Help them to actually make a decision and a declaration that from this day forward, I want to make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.